0: Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie Podcast.
1: Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for after action report number eight. If you don't know what an after action report is, anytime we have a guest on Cocktails in the War Room, which is my streaming video show that I film live, Every Tuesday night at 8.30 live on my Facebook page. The videos are always posted on Facebook and online at MistressCarrie.com after every episode. And this week on episode 115 that happened Tuesday night, January 26th, 2021, Maddie Blake joined me. He's, of course, the host of the History Channel's Drilling Down and Beyond Oak Island. And he's a former WAF DJ. And he was featured on episode 33 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. Well, after the podcast got released, he joined us live in the war room to answer your questions about all things supernatural, to drill down even deeper on Oak Island, and to swap some old school WAF stories. So here's the audio of the interview. But don't forget, if you want to watch the video, just go to MistressCarrie.com. Maddie, right. welcome Hi. to Cocktails in the War Room.
2: <laughs> I'm glad to be here with you. Thank you. I
1: was getting a little nervous that you might have forgotten. I, normally, we have the guest on early in the show, but I know because of Oak Island, you wanted to wait. I told everybody in the war room already what, what Thank the you. reservation was, is that you don't want to compete with your own show.
2: Yeah, it's a little bad. for. And they, I've, I've, I've started live tweeting during the Beyond episodes And I think history kind of likes that. So um, I wanted to keep that going, too.
1: So for anybody that doesn't know, that's here in the war room, um, anybody that doesn't know, Maddie and I worked at WAF multiple times together over the years. He used to host Afternoons with Rocco and then came back and was on Maddie and Nick. And then all the while, you've been doing other stuff. You're a stand-up comic. We talked a lot about it in episode 33 of the podcast. Um, But you... Ended up on this Oak Island journey. And now there's spinoffs to the spinoffs. So originally there was the Curse of Oak Island. Correct. And then Drilling Down is the companion show, which is the show that you host. So what's the difference between the Curse of Oak Island and Drilling Down for anybody that hasn't watched it?
2: Yeah. So real quick, like Drilling Down was basically Talking Dead is for Walking Dead. Right. And so I did that. For five seasons, basically. The main show, The Curse of Oak Island, has gotten so huge that it has now spawned a spinoff called Beyond Oak Island. So Oak Island is its own treasure hunt story. It's a real story going on. It's a real life treasure hunt. Beyond Oak Island is us looking at other treasure mysteries around the world. Because what started to happen, Carrie, is people started presenting to me and to Rick and to Marty and producers like, hey, I've got this thing. I think there's treasure in my town. I've been searching it for years. I've got 20 years of research. So we're getting all these messages going, well, this could be a show. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and it has become one. So we got nailed by COVID. Um, we only got eight episodes in the season one, but I'm very confident there's going to be a season two of Beyond Oak Island and we'll tell more treasure stories.
1: People are commenting on your very uh, cool studio lighting. Kevin Barbary had very cool mood lighting in his studio. Kevin. When he yep. joined us here in the war room, he had like this cool, Purple lighting, and so people are commenting on your big, sexy lighting that you have in there as well.
2: Well, I got to thank my 15 year old son Max. This is uh, that that LED lighting that kids have in their rooms now. Oh, that comes—it's
1: like on a ribbon, right?
2: Strip. Yes, yeah. he he got some for Christmas. He had some left over, so I brought it down to my studio and I control it with my phone, so I can actually uh, hold on. Oh my god! <laughs> as is, we talk,
1: what Kevin Barbery was doing too. It just goes <laughs> to show you guys that it doesn't matter. See, that's what Kevin was doing. Like, you get all these (laughs) colors. It just goes to show you, it doesn't matter how different everyone was that was at AAF. We were all very different people with different things. But there are so many similarities that brought us all together. And you're proving it right now. Kevin Barber would be so proud of your in-studio lighting.
2: (laughs) You know, I have a funny Kevin Barber story. Uh, well, I have many. Most I would never tell here. <laughs> but um, I met him again. We alluded to this on the podcast. Like I knew Greg Hill before Greg was famous yeah. because he was my brother's friend. And I remember being at one of Greg's parties, and I hadn't met Kevin. Kevin had just started working with Greg. It was like when he flew out here to do he the show, basically. He
1: came up from like North Carolina, North right?
2: Carolina. Yeah. And he was doing an impression, which I've stolen over the years many times. He was in the corner of the room, and, I, and I, I wonder if Kevin would remember this, actually. He was doing Harrison Ford in the movie um, well, uh, when he's the the prisoner, uh, the remake, um, Man with the One Arm. Uh,
1: oh, um...
2: You know, The Fugitive. The
1: Fugitive, yeah. Otherwise, he's, there's like a 10-second delay in the comments, and then like five <laughs> seconds, people are going to be like, The fucking Fugitive, <laughs> Carrie! What are you and Maddie on, on dope? Sorry. What are you doing? Yeah.
2: So he's in the corner doing... As you can imagine, Kevin only doing, he's doing the exchange, but he's doing both voices of, of the guy going Which like. It uh, was
1: amazing that he could do oh. both characters in a conversation at the same time and switch back and forth like it was nothing.
2: Amazing. So he's like doing the French doctor, like, Richard, my friend. And he's like, there was a man with a prosthetic arm. You find that man. And I'm going like, oh my God, he sounds exactly like them. It's and I just like gravitated over to him in the corner. And we were like best buds, like doing voices and doing our whole thing. So.
1: He uh, he came on the podcast and on Cocktails in the War Room. And, you know, I love the fact also that all of us have these amazing, like, home studios now. Do you have yep. a name for yours? Because you know I call I mine do. MCHQ. What do you call yours?
2: Maddie Road Studios. <laughs> <laughs> I even have, I, I don't have the, I'm not good with technology really, but uh, someone took a Photoshop of the Beatles crossing Abbey Road And they took out George's face and put my face in it. So that's like my avatar of my Matty road studios. Have you ever
1: gone to England? Have you ever gone to London and crossed Abbey road? I haven't done it. Okay. So I did it, I think like seven years ago and it's really strange, right? So I, there were some British soldiers that I met in Afghanistan and they had always said like, if you ever come to England or whatever, like, let us know, we'll hook you up. So one of them, um, him and his wife picked me up at the airport. I had a 14 hour layover in London and they were like, we're going to take you around London all day. So we got a day pass for the tube or the underground, whatever they call it. And we just ran around London. I had this whole list of what I wanted to do. And I was like, guys, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to make you do the Abbey road thing. Like you don't (laughs) have to do it, but I want to do it. so You have to take me. We got off at that stop. And even like all the tchotchkes, the little stand at that stop of the underground is all Beetle stuff. Sure. And then you come around and it's like a residential like neighborhood. And the corner where that cross, the, the um, crosswalk is, is a little harrowing. Like it's a little dangerous. Mm. And this Busy. was really early on a Sunday morning.
2: Huh. Because
1: I had taken the red eye. Basically, I had left Boston late night or whatever. And then by the time I got there, it was really early in the morning. And people, like, coming home from church, like, don't give a fuck. Like, they are so sick of people being in that crosswalk. You would think they would stop and let you take it. No, 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 no. There were dozens of people waiting in line to take pictures in the crosswalk. First thing on a Sunday morning. And then Abbey Road Studios is right there at the intersection. Sure. And the whole stucco wall outside of the studio, people just write all over it. So, of course, I'm like, Mistress Carey was here on the wall at Abbey Road Studios. And then there were these guys with acoustic guitars. It was like a band. And they were doing acoustic versions of Beatles songs, acapella, like, out on the street. And it was this amazing vibe because everybody that was there was there for the same reason, because they just sure. love the Beatles. I love it. So you have to... You yeah. have to, have to, because I know what a big Beatles fan you are. Yeah. You have to just go. I have the picture of, like, me. Of course, I was uh, by myself, you know, so I'm, like, walking across Abbey Road, uh, and, and so I took great. pictures signing the studio, and yeah. um, it's just, it's really cool to just go there. And recently, on The Sit Rep, which is the headline podcast that I do, uh, Paul McCartney's daughter... Um, The one that he had with Linda is actually doing a documentary on Abbey Road Studios.
2: Oh, wow. She's going
1: to put the documentary together, which I cannot wait to see. And the whole history of the studio and everything, just the people that have recorded there. Nuno Betancourt was on the podcast recently, and he talked about recording in those studios and just legendary.
2: You know, it's funny. I took my son, Max, when he was younger in my New York city years, I took him to, because he's become a huge Beatles fan and I took him to, you know, the Dakota building. And then we crossed the street at the 73rd, I guess. And it's where the
1: strawberry fields and the exact memorial the
2: imagine. Is. Yeah. yeah. And you know, he only said to me, he goes, um, I don't like it, daddy. I don't like it B- because he, I, I didn't even do the math. It's, it's where Lennon was killed. And Max knew that I explained it to him and he goes, I don't, I don't like being here. I was like, wow. You know, he was so sensitive at that age to him, to this, you know, hero band of his and the guy getting shot there. And I, I didn't even think about at, at his well, age, that would be really disturbing weird. to him. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, you look at any kind of memorial, right? You look at the the amazing memorial and the museum uh, at Ground Zero. <sighs> and on one hand, it's breathtaking and beautiful and all of those things. But on the other hand, you're literally standing on the ground where it happened. Yeah. And it's, it's, there's like a mix of emotion there because it's where, like when you go to a cemetery to go visit a loved one, it's not where they died. Right. So it's like this place where you're just going to visit them. But when you go to a memorial that's on the ground where it happened, I can totally see how Max would.
2: (laughs) Yeah. He kind of, it was weird. Well, it's powerful moments like, like the Titanic. And then you can have a producer just go and, and go then you have
1: Stiz, who's been in cocktails in the war room as well. Be like, I touched the Titanic. Yo,
2: I remember him like outside the, we had a great trip, Nick, me and him in Vegas. It was one of the highlight memories of my time that second time at AF and he's got like the sweatpants pulled up, you know, over his shins. Like he does that thing, you know, and he's like ripping butts outside the outside the casino and he's like, yo, I touched the Titanic. I'm like, don't say another word. We're talking about enough. this on the air. We're talking about this on the air tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh.
1: Producer Mike says, "Can't wait to see the Peter Jackson doc. All of that unreleased video footage coming on Disney Plus." Um,
2: trailer looks incredible.
1: Producer Mike, by the way, is Mike Saya, who came to Afghanistan with me. That used to work oh, yeah. for us at with us at Intercom. Awesome. Uh, let's see. Uh, Terence says, "I want to see uh, Abbey Road." Better Sea Power Station, Astoria, David Gilmore's Houseboat, um, Mm. uh, Britannia Row Studios. Like there's a whole you could literally just be a a travel agency and just specialize in like music tourism.
2: Seriously. That's a great idea. For nerd
1: people like us that want to really. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I love the Sonic Highways documentary that the Foo Fighters did. Remember that record that they did? And it was like on HBO and it was every track of that record got made in a legendary recording studio around the country.
2: On the board, he had like the soundboard used, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: collaborated with famous musicians from that town. And like that is still one of my favorite albums of all time because it was so historically interesting to see them working in these studios and to hear the outside influence of other artists on what the Foo Fighters would sound like.
2: Yes. Yes. Just yes. really cool. Incredible, you know? incredible. That history is just awesome.
1: Um. Let's see. Sean says I took a day trip to the 9/11 memorial on 9/11 2011, and I had a wicked migraine at the time. It was pretty rough. Like people talking about like going and visiting these places, it can have a profound effect on you. Physically, yeah, it can affect you. You know. Uh, Ed says I met Maddie years back when he was on the radio with Rocco, so he says Ooh. hello. Hi. Amanda says that's a great idea. I would dig that travel for music places only mm. uh, a lot of New Yorkers don't and won't go to the memorial still too painful says Melissa mm. uh, Brianna agrees with me that that was a great album from the Foo Fighters. Mm. Um, so one of the ways one of the reasons that I love having people that were on the podcast come into the war room is that everybody's had a week now to listen to your episode. And As good of a job, using the bunny ear quotes, that I think that I do in my interviews with people, I know that when people listen to the podcast episodes, it always leaves them with questions that I didn't ask. And so I love it when people come in the war room because just like the text line that we had in the AAF studio, I can get these messages from everybody that's joining me in the war room right now in real time so that they can ask questions. So if you guys have questions for Maddie, if you have questions that I didn't ask in the podcast, if you want him to elaborate more on stuff with Oak Island or any of the other paranormal stuff that he loves, did you see that the Lizzie Borden Inn is for sale? hmm $2 million price tag.
2: hmm
1: Talk about, like, tourism for places that would skeeve you out to go. Like, you literally, a bed and breakfast... Where a pair of grisly murders took place historically, like, <laughs>
2: creepy. yeah, that's not far from me where I am, by the way, in Fall River. Yeah, that that's uh, actually that's another place Stiz went to and broke some broke rules of, of what they asked you not to do. He, <laughs> he did something. I can't remember what it was, but he went there. He's like, yo, I went there and we like whatever he did. He took a picture in the wherever he wasn't supposed to be.
1: Melissa of course. wants to know if I was able to fix all of the echo problems from your episode. No, that there, there was still, oh, you can no. still hear it a little bit. If you listen to the episode, I was able to get most of it out, but there's a few places where there was this weird echo and you and I were talking about it when we recorded the episode that there was yeah. like this phantom echo that I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. So, um, no, Melissa, but I got your email about it and I appreciate it. Uh, Atwood says, Oh, it's Atwood. I went to high school with him. Hi. Yeah. Um, when I first moved to San Antonio, I was taken on a tour of the Selena shrines around town, and it was oh, awesome. God. Talk about music tourism—that's really cool.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to think. Where would you like to go, Carrie? Like, I would like to see. I can never say the. Um, I can never say it. Uh, what's the mansion where Led Zeppelin recorded that? Bonjour, Bonjour. I, I oh, can't say it. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Where they recorded that record, I'd love to go stand in because in the documentary it might get loud. Page goes back there and stands in the like, the little room where John Bonham laid down the drum lick to when the levee breaks. Bop, bop,
1: Which is bop, one bop, of bop, the greatest. Oh, like, can you imagine standing song, there? That song may have the greatest kick drum in recorded rock and roll. Like John yeah, Bonham's man. kick drum in that song is perfect. It's literally perfect. Oh my God! There's Maybe so many um, of those studios too. Like, didn't. Um, Trent Reznor rent out um, the mansion where the La Bianca murders took place, the Manson murders, and they recorded there.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah. Incredible. Like, and I Incredible. don't think
1: they knew that they just like, if you look at, I think there was a, an interview or something with Trent Reznor about the downward spiral. Like, I don't think they realized that that's what that house was, and then they found out afterwards, and they were like, "Okay, fuck it." And it like,
2: <laughs> I
1: think Slipknot might have recorded there as well.
2: Holy um, God, Maddie,
1: do you think that? Um, do you think that is really on Oak Island for treasure? Aztecs, like Amanda wants to know what you what you think. <sighs>
2: I mean, I, I've come to the belief, and I might have said this in the podcast, so forgive me if I'm being repetitive, but I've come to the belief that it's not what we call temporal wealth, that it's not gold, silver, although that might have been buried by people subsequently who, when Oak Island got the reputation it got as being a place where there's treasure, it makes sense that people might hide treasure there. But you're talking, historically, when people hide temporal wealth like that, it's 10 feet, maybe. Right, You know where it is. You're not going to dig any more than 10 feet. Try to dig a whole 10 feet. It's hard.
1: Yeah, and right? do it 400 years ago.
2: Correct. When you so, didn't
1: have a bulldozer to help you. Correct.
2: Based on some of the clues this team has found and the depth and massiveness of the works, I believe it is something to do with a either a cultural group of documents or a religious artifact from antiquity. That's what I am convinced of. And I have other, well, that's all I'll say
1: uh terrence and a bunch of other people have said uh hedley grange which is this, where you're talking about
2: thank you and
1: richard fitz jr says that the drum room there is all about the height of the room which is why the drums sounded so good
2: yes that's what page saying. Are
1: so smart
2: way to go people <laughs> um
1: uh, brianna says i wonder if they are keeping lizzie's other house those owners have both of their houses mm. uh, i don't know
2: Interesting. Uh, the
1: other Brianna says the new night stalker documentary on Netflix is fucking insane. So good. I, um, I know basic white girl, like the serial killer documentaries. <laughs> Actually, what's really funny <laughs> is that Tyler Connolly from theory of a dead man and I, cause he's on this week's episode talked about the night stalker documentary in our interview this week. So it's really funny that you brought that up. Um, Penny says, I saw it. One of the few that really wigged me out talking about mm. the night stalker. Mm. Um, Let's see. Uh, Rebecca says, I've really enjoyed following Oak Island. Um, Sean says, Geraldo thought there was something at Al Capone's vault also. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one thing about Maddie is that uh, you've always been very headstrong in your beliefs. Mm. And you also um, allow yourself to get your balls busted about it and you don't care. Like it doesn't bother you. We used to like wreak havoc on you on the daily at the radio station. And you're just like, whatever, man, it's not going to make me not believe it.
2: Well, I mean, like, isn't that the one of the greatest sayings of all time is take what you do seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. Right. Like I love I'm earnest. You know, we talked about again on the podcast, not to be repetitive, but it's like, my enthusiasm is all real. I got the job because one of the requirements was that you love this type of stuff. Right. And so it's real. Like when I go like holy crap, you found that. Like that's that's all real. And I think it translates. But it's like I don't care. I don't think that I'm anything sp- like as soon as you start taking yourself too seriously, I think that shows up on camera too. And people will just go click.
1: Danielle wants to know what's the best place that you've seen paranormal activity? Because you've gone to a lot of like crazy places and Yeah. You know, I mean, outside of Oak Island, obviously, because some yeah. of the things that you've seen there.
2: Yeah. O- Oak would be the answer, but I, I'll try a non-Oak answer. And that is um, I went to a Bigfoot conference. I spoke at a Bigfoot conference. Of course you did. And it was in Salt Fork, Ohio, at a huge convention center where there's been tons of squat. It's very How- squatchy country.
1: How many people were in Ohio at a Sasquatch convention?
2: Hundreds. I don't, I don't you. I, I don't know how exa- people. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They take, you know, w- one guy said to me and a, a lot of guys say this, but one guy said to me one day, he, I said, well, you know, you're a believer. He said, no, I'm an experiencer. I'm not a believer. And he got really intense. And this is a military guy too. He, he told one of the greatest stories that night. He told a story about his son. So this guy was a non-believer, worked in the woods, had a sighting and it changed his life. It fundamentally changed his life. And he's like, it's cost me. It's cost me money. It's cost me friends. It's cost because me relationships. People think he's Crazy. Yes. And he just won't stop. And they're like, will you stop going out in the woods on the weekends? He's like, no. So his son was one of the kind of non-believers and he just, I won't go into it, but he told this story about his son who was in the national guard, had a weekend off. They went on a squat and he goes, and we saw one go right up the ridge, right by us. He goes and my son, who's this big, tough 21 year old national guard. He said he went just like this and he, he, he went in on himself and wouldn't move. He wouldn't move on the path. He was so, he went into shock and he's like, we had to push him down the path. And he said, never since that day, he wants nothing to do with it, but he'll say, dad, you were right. I, I doubted you. It's scared he couldn't move. He, he, he went and we told that story at night in the woods at Salt Fork ranch. I was like, what are we doing? But we saw some weird stuff. We, we felt we were being tracked and, uh, we saw anomalous lights. We saw an orange orb. Which my former partner Ronnie Blank will tell you is very common. It's split off into two red lights that look like eyes. Now this is in the deep forest. If we went back the next day to see, and if anyone had been back there with like night vision goggles or something, we would have heard it because you couldn't even put your hand in front of your face without hitting branches and making noise. This thing was going like a at about our eye level, a little taller, and just cutting across us these weird lights. So if anyone can tell me what that was, I'd, I'd be
1: Gina uh, says, oh, my God, Vanessa needs to go to that conference. So one of my neighbors is a Sasquatch fanatic. (laughs)
2: Like
1: like her kids buy her Sasquatch PJs. And like she's (laughs) one of those people. And you were just talking about Ronnie LeBlanc. Yeah. He's from Leominster and wrote a book called Monsterland about an area in Leominster that has a history of paranormal activity. And you've come to Leominster multiple times. Yeah. And gone and seen. So th- that's where I was born and raised. Obviously. So, yep. what kind of weird stuff have you seen in my hometown?
2: We had some weird events in the Monsterland Forest. Um, one of which I, I I know I swear to God this sounds like a movie or something, but if I didn't live through it, I wouldn't believe it either. But we were on a day hike just to get the lay of the land to figure out maybe where we would go squatching one day. Squatching. I'm with. I'm with. Three really experienced dudes. One's a former park ranger, and Ronnie knows those woods like anything. And we got caught in a kind. Afterwards, we didn't realize it at the time. It wasn't like lost time, like UFO people describe. But in a sense, it kind of was. It was a very Blair Witchy thing. We kept going in circles, and at a certain point, it was getting cold. It was wintertime. It Was freezing anyway. It was getting dark. And I go, "Hey guys, like you're the experts and the park ranger guys." Going like, "I don't, I don't." He was laughing, but he was like scared. He's like, I don't know what's going on. This is weird. We got lost in Monsterland and we saw some weird tree bends and we all had a weird feeling. And we were in the truck that night. Everyone kind of got quiet and like no one was laughing about it. We were like, that was, that was, I don't know what happened. Like Ronnie's been back there. He knew exactly where we were. And yet we kept kind of circling. It was and very Monsterland bizarre. Monsterland
1: is a place like it's been called that since my parents were in high school and. Earlier than that, because it was a place that for decades people have talked about the weird stuff
2: that yeah. happened
1: in that area, which is, I mean, that's why they call it Monster Land because it's weird out there. Sure um, is. People are talking about the, um, is it the Danvers State Hospital?
2: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. The mental hospital. Yeah, very haunted.
1: The Freetown um, Triangle.
2: Yeah. And the Bridgewater Triangle is a big, they're doing a now, they're doing a scripted TV show about the Bridgewater Triangle. Um, well, loosely based on it, it's a scripted show, but, uh, and all the high strangeness there, that's a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, that's what
1: William's talking about the Bridgewater Triangle right now. Yeah. Uh
2: Uh-huh.
1: When you, to go back to Oak Island, because we talked about it a little bit in the podcast, but one of the, and you talked about, can you, do you have your cross on I do. Can you show everybody the cross that we talked about in the podcast?
2: Yeah, great idea. I never not wear it, if that tells you anything. So this is a replica of what we call now, <clears throat> some people, we call Drayton's cross because Gary Drayton is the metal detector that found it. So what's unique about this And the real one is bigger than this. It's it's about that much bigger and that much wider.
1: Looks like something Tobias Forge from Ghost would wear. <laughs> or Aussie. Yeah. Yeah.
2: The real ones made of lead, it's super heavy. This is just a silver replica. It's an exact replica, but it's smaller. And what makes it unique, again, I'll do this in 30 seconds, but what makes it unique is that the the Knights Templar were long rumored to be involved with the Oak Island treasure, but it was something that seems so outlandish. First of all, we don't know for sure that Knights Templar could have come here, even though there's evidence that Vikings might have come here a long, long time ago. Especially there's in no... that
1: part of like Nova Scotia where it, like it would have been one of the first pieces of land you hit. Correct. the Atlantic.
2: Correct. Um, So long story short, it all seems like kind of fantasy and fun. It's like, well, what what would the Knights Templar be hiding? And then then this team finds human bones of Middle Eastern descent that are very old. And then this team finds parchment paper and leather bookbinding at depth, 160 feet at depth. And that one expert said, this is of a very important medieval document. This would have been this type of paper and this type of leather bookbinding, if if that's what it is, what I think it is, it would be for something very special. And with that as the backdrop, this guy, Gary Drayton, finds this lead cross on the beach. This almost exact cross is carved into the wall in a Templar prison in Dome, France. They test the lead of this cross that was found on Oak Island. It comes from a 14th century mine, excuse me, a mine that closed in the 14th century. And that's where the lead came from, right near the prison, the Templar prison in Dome, France. So yes, you could say it's all coincidence. Yes, you could say someone dropped the Templar cross there at some point, I guess. It's authentically old. It's been tested. But to me, that was just proof of what I had start to be. I had begin to suspect that it was something involving a religious artifact, and when they found that to me, it was just, and then everyone said, it's, it's it's going to turn out to be a replica or postmodern or not old. And I kept, I just knew in my heart and my bones, I'm like, this thing is special. And Gary, the guy who found it was an expert in medieval artifacts. Cause he treasure hunted in England all those years. He goes, no mate, this is old. You watch. And when the testing came back, it was like, I felt like I won the lottery. I was like, yes, so, Templar, baby.
1: So we talked about this in the podcast a little bit about treasure hunters. And we talked about the Titanic and how somebody's got to pay this expensive cost of all this excavation and all of this treasure hunting. And obviously people do it not only for the bragging rights. If you are like James Cameron helped the right. that made Titanic help to fund the explorers that found the Titanic. So it's like when you're rich the way that he is from the Terminator movies and all that stuff, it's like a badge of honor that you, like you go down in the history books, but also how much money those wrecks are worth, how much money these things, these treasures are worth. If you find a Spanish sunken ship with millions and millions of dollars of gold in it and all of that stuff, like there's definitely money to be made. So this guy that you're talking about, what was his name again? The, the guy with the found the cross?
2: Gary Drayton, the metal oh, detector.
1: Okay, so Gary finds this cross. Does he get to keep it? Does he own it? Who owns it? And then no. how do they test it without destroying it?
2: Yeah, so they did something called laser ablation, a term I never thought I'd know, but but for this job. It sounds uh, like and they, something
1: they do at the spa. They do like <laughs> ablations, like skin ablations for women at the spa.
2: Wait, didn't they open up OzFest for us in like 96, <laughs> laser ablation? Dude,
1: they're definitely, Mike Shue always has a joke on Twitter about a band, <laughs> yeah. if like a fake band name and whether they played yeah. upstairs or downstairs <laughs> at the Middle East. I think laser ablation definitely played downstairs, but I definitely. digress, so go ahead.
2: <laughs> they got signed in the 90s. Um, So yeah, basically it's, it's a, it's a process by which they kind of use a laser to just take the most minimal sample that you can possibly take called laser ablation. And and that's how they tested it basically. But okay. So Gary doesn't
1: like it. It's not specific. Like if you can't give up like trade secrets about Island, it's more of like who owns it when you find a treasure? Like how do you, how does it get decided?
2: Yeah. So there's something called, uh, the treasure trove act. Um, Because you really can't hunt for treasure in Canada. So because of the historical importance and cultural importance of Oak Island to that area, they have worked out a deal with the treasure hunters, the modern day treasure hunters now on Oak Island, Rick and Marty Lagina and their team. Rick and Marty Lagina own virtually everywhere they search. If they don't own that part of the island, they have an agreement with the person who does because people own lots. Um, They own most of it. So they can dig as they want. Now there's an archeologist on scene. He's become part of the team. His name is Laird Niven. He's basically the eyes of the state, if you will. And if, so here's how it breaks down. If, if they find gold or silver or something like treasure, they can actually keep that. Rick and Marty can keep that. If it's something of cultural significance, like what they believe is an archeological site, all work must stop. And Laird has to come in and say, okay, We need to stop digging. We need to excavate this archaeologically. Yes, yes. Or even an old house. Yes, yes. So the government almost cares more about that than treasure. You know, Um, now part of the agreement is they give a lot of artifacts to the government and it goes on display in their interpretive center, their museum, if you will. So like you can go, there's an Oak Island interpretive center on Oak Island. When you get there, it's in the parking lot. You can see the cross on display.
1: Oh, that's where it is? Because I was going to ask you where it was. uh
2: Yeah. So it goes to, you know, the greater good of the Oak Island team, you know, uh, because it creates interest and and things like that. But, you know, yeah, if Rick and Marty pull up a if Rick and Marty pull up a treasure chest of gold, they can keep what they want and give what they want. You know, I I think the the state gets a percentage of that, um, but it's but it's theirs. It's their land.
1: What else besides the cross and like you were just talking about and like those pieces of paper and that like the leather bound book, what else has come out of there that's made you go, holy shit?
2: Yeah, like um, pottery, very ornate pottery at depth. The human bones were huge because what are they doing under there, especially Middle Eastern human bones? One male, one female. Um even the wood, everyone always jokes like, Oh, they're pulling up more wood on Oak Island, but the wood tells the story. That's the process. So it's like, what are giant pieces of beam that predate the finding of the money pit in 1795? What are those doing at depth? You know what I mean? So like you're going down and you're finding wood that's, and you can date it.
1: Right. They, and carbon dating. Right. Right. Is that yeah, what you call and, it? And, yeah.
2: Yes. And dendrochronology you can do. If there's rings, you can date it that way. Um, but you're seeing wood that is post discovery of the money pit. You know, they searcher, you know, that these are searchers who are down there oh. and we're finding their remnants. But when you start to pull up stuff that predates that you go, all right, this could be the original depositors. Um, there's something called the chapel vault this is the last thing I'll say that was so exciting. Um, and this is before my time, but they, they hit with a drill. They hit, so they're, they're at depth. Oak Island nuts are going to kill me on this. I want to say 165, I, I, I think was the depth. I could be wrong on that. I have a lot of depths in my head. Maybe 195, <laughs> 165. Anyway, they hit, you know, they're going through earth. they bring up core samples, earth core samples. They hit wood, very old wood, a layer of cement, a layer of fiber. Like I think it was coconut fiber. That might've been coconut fiber too, but I'm, I'm not sure. There's coconut fiber found on the beach at Smith's Cove. And then it drops a few feet as if it hit a void and they pull the drill bit up, it's got gold flecks on it. So, if you can think about it, they basically hit a box wood, cement, it drops, meaning they hit a void. And at the bottom of the void, it comes up with gold flecks on it. So, they try to get that box. They call it the Chapel Vault now because no, and they seemed, they think they just pushed it further underground because everything flooded oh. and they couldn't get to everything. But that, that existed. That was, that was a discovery. So, it's like that Chapel Vault is down there somewhere. So that's, so this team has pulled up things that they go, is this chapel vault? Oh my God. I've been there on site when they're like, this is like a, what is this wood? And you and like, are we on the chapel vault right now? And your heart rate just, you know, I get the chills just thinking about it. The possibility of this team pulling up something like that. It's one of these days, any one of those core samples could pull it up.
1: Now, how far do you go with, there's a lot of talk about conspiracy theories right now because, um, you know, people, depending on what side of the political spectrum you're on and you talk about QAnon and kind of all of this stuff. So there has been a lot of um, talk mm. in mainstream media about conspiracy theorists and what is it that attracts people to conspiracies and what yeah. makes you believe them? So how far does your conspiracy theory spectrum go like? Like, did we really land on the moon? Was JFK assassinated by the Cubans or the mob? Like, was it a cover-up? Was Johnson in on it? Like, there's a lot. There's a, there's a lot there.
2: God, you're such a great interviewer. I've never been asked that question. And I don't think of things in terms of conspiracy theories like that because I'm a very non-political person. And those usually, the phrase conspiracy theory kind of connotes politics almost a little bit, right? Yeah.
1: And it's not meant to be a political conversation. So I'll give you right. an example. Last year, I went to Dallas. Yep. And I went with a bunch of friends. It was just always a place talking about going to a place where a grisly murder happened, right? A yeah, tourist yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I went to Dealey Plaza.
2: Been there. Done and it.
1: And- It's a lot smaller... And more compact than I think I get. Like, just from the Zapruda films and the images, the historical images that we have, I couldn't believe how much smaller it was in person. Yes. There's the blocks on the street, yeah. which is very morbid about when the yes. bullets actually hit JFK before they went under the underpass.
2: Yes, they have, like, a thing right on the street, like a, a, a peg in I there. I took with, a picture yes. like
1: standing in the box, and as I'm doing it, like, everybody was doing it, but as yeah. I'm doing it, I felt weird doing it because yeah. I was like this is where someone died. Like this is where our president was assassinated. Like it was uh-huh. weird again. And then I don't know if it happened when you were there, but were all of those conspiracy guys there.
2: Yep. They have signs, they have tapes, they so, have, so you I, know, who I went with I Heather Gersten of... from radio.
1: No way. Remember, really? remember Heather Gersten. Yeah. yeah. We
2: went, we went together on a, on a morning radio trip, but anyway, go ahead.
1: So I, <laughs> so they were there talking about, now these guys have published books. They have evidence. They, they give a very compelling argument about the conspiracy behind it, about how there were more bullets found than Lee Harvey Oswald could have fired, that there was more yeah. than three bullets, that there were ricochets into the bridge abutment, and you know that it would have been easier for him to take a head-on shot before they took the corner and then took the shot almost as if JFK was like, they go into this whole thing, And I was like, between that and the Kevin Costner movie, I was like, you might be swaying me. Like, they make some compelling arguments.
2: Yeah. I think I could answer it this way and say that the stuff that thrills and excites me tends to more be on the, I would say, spiritual side of the ledger. Those are the questions that excite me. So I'm kind of like you in terms of human beings. Um, I feel like most of those conspiracies, like – most most agencies don't know what the other one's doing. And it would take so much coordination to do something like that. Well, like, I, like
1: the people that believe 9 was an inside job, right? And it's like, to pull something like that off, I just have a really hard time imagining enough people being willing to go in on it and that it never got out. Right. Because something like that right. just always gets
2: right. out. Right. And, I would, and to, your, to answer your question, that's a great example. If there was a discussion going on about and if it was an inside job or not, I would walk out of that room, but I would run into the room that talked about uh, anyone who is a victim of 9-11 maybe contacting their loved ones from the other side now. That room I'd stay in for five hours. You with me? (laughs) So that's where I stand.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, maybe for you and, and I think for a lot of people, the conspiracies that you're talking about also lend themselves to answering life questions about what happens after we die. Definitely. Which is the oldest question in humanity and the question that, no disrespect to anyone's organized religion, but at the end of the day, none of us really know.
2: True, true, true. One of the only
1: people that I know of that has any kind of compelling argument for me is Tommy Vexed because he died and was brought back to life. Mm He had a death experience. And we talked about it. He was on episode three of the podcast and we talked about it a little bit. And it's like, I don't know if I know anyone else that actually died besides Nikki Six. That was like yeah. declared dead and came back. Yeah. Those people, I'll sit down and listen because it's like, I can't tell you you're wrong. I didn't die.
2: You're right, right. NDEs, as we call them in the paranormal biz. Of course biz.
1: you have an acronym <laughs> for that. I
2: have a book of them. I have a couple books on NDEs. Fascinating. They've done scientific studies skeptics, doctors, and they've actually done things as benign as like put, put something on the roof of the, or the lights above their operating theater. And when someone claims a near-death experience, they've tested them and the people, and, and supposedly in some of these studies that people passed, Oh, you had a tic-tac-toe board up there and there were two X's and you know, where only you could see if you were floating above it. I mean, or it's like, really or the how
1: they've weighed a human body and then weighed it, like the weight of your soul. That they, what is it, like
2: 0. 0.6 ounces or something? Yeah, that it like has something. an actual
1: measurable weight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this stuff is yeah interesting. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I love it. It's Kevin Burns, my the producer who hired me, who just who just passed away. Unfortunately, it was I was crushed. But he was one day we were time at Oak Island, and and he he did Ancient Aliens. He created Ancient Aliens that show. And he created The Curse of Oak Island. He's this mad genius. And he just goes like, one day we're doing something. And he just goes like, uh, well, you know, these, both these shows are the, are about the search for God. You know that, right? And it's not just about treasure. And it's not just about talking about aliens. It's the search for God. It's the search for meaning. People searching. And I was like, wow, he's right. To your point. You know, it's like we're looking for answers. Yeah. And as I said in your podcast, if that's true, what else could be true?
1: So Terrence said Leon uh, Wilkerson from uh, Leonard Skinnerd. That was in the plane crash in 77 was dead for two minutes, came back. Gary Rosington of Skinner was dead for one minute and saw his own body. He said,
2: yes, yes, that's a really common thing. They see themselves getting worked on. They can tell the medical professionals what they did medically. Bob Woodward, I think the journalist, not not Woodward and Bernstein, but there's a young journalist um, he
1: was the like, one that got hit by the IED when he was yes. in troops
2: overseas. Correct. Thank yeah. you. And he saw the medics working on him from down the street. He was like, I floated out of my body. He had an NDE and he told the medics, the army medics, like, here's what you did to me. Here's what you said. And they're like, dude, you were dead. He had a headache. His head got blown up. Yeah.
1: He's got, he, he has a foundation that helps injured veterans. And
2: look up his NDE. It's incredible. If
1: you look at, I mean, they had to like put a metal plate in his head because he lost part of his skull. I mean his injuries right. were horrific. That's
2: right. And he watched the guys working on him. Incredible. So, so it's
1: like how do you tell that guy he's wrong?
2: Well,
1: did you see uh, Soul, the, the Pixar movie?
2: The no, brand new one? I did not.
1: It's fantastic. Is so it I got one gotta thing check. that's really crazy is that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross do the score. Wow. wow. So Trent like Reznor for Pixar.
2: Like, did you ever see think you'd that's live in the So go nineteen
1: ninety-four. I want to fuck you like an animal. <laughs> 2020 Disney Pixar film. Like
2: amazing. It's amazing. unbelievable,
1: but um the movie first of all is beautiful. It, like the mm-hmm. the animation on it is beautiful, but it deals with what we're talking about is that mm-hmm. the where the person's spirit goes and then like Fighting to get back into your body, like I'm not giving spoiler alerts away, but if you have Disney Plus and you haven't watched Soul, it's fantastic. It's all about love of music as well. Mm. Um, But the way that the animators kind of imagined what these beings, these energy beings in the other world might possibly look like in order to animate them. Uh, Um, some of them look like Picasso drawings in this really uh, weird way. It's just, it's beautifully animated. And the fact that Trent Reznor did the score is crazy, but that movie deals with what we're talking about. Gina says, uh, soul was excellent. Eric says it was awesome. Um, I need to watch that movie says Brianna. Um, uh, Sean, keeping us up to date with the Bruins and overtime win with 10.9 seconds. Fantastic. Eric said, kids loved it. Shannon says movie was great. Eric said it's all about jazz music, which is great. Um, It's really cool. And I think just because of exactly what kind of we're talking about. Yeah, I think even though like you're a grown ass man that you could watch a cartoon like without kids around. And I think you would really like that one because it's just really it's really interesting.
2: Well, I'll tell you, we, I do that uh, podcast with Tony Ark, and We review movies that are paranormally themed. We're, I'm going to put that in the list and we're going to oh, review it.
1: I would 100% put yeah. it on the list. Um, Love it. So that was one of the things that we talked about. It, it, like um, Tyler Connolly from Theory of a Dead Man, who's on the podcast this week, he's got a podcast that he calls Band Meeting with Dave, one of the other guys in the band, and they interview fellow musicians and stuff. Ugh. Um but it's really interesting people that are getting into podcasts and in like the vein. So you've done like monster land stuff. So talk about, cause you talked about it a little bit in the podcast and our podcast interview, but talk about this podcast, this rated P for paranormal podcast that you guys do and how you take a movie and kind of analyze the theme of the movie.
2: Yeah, it's simple. Uh, it's me and Tony Arkin, Alan Arkin's son, the famous actor Alan Arkin. Who Um, I love. Yeah, he's awesome. And he's just like his dad. He's hilarious. Tony's hilarious. And and so Tony's my movie expert. He grew up from his conscious memory till you know now, he grew up on film sets. He's a director, editor. He grew up going to all those movies with his dad. He knows movies better than anyone I know. It's like you with music. Like he's just that's his thing. So what we do, and since I'm kinda into paranormal stuff, and he is too, we take a film. Um, so last week we did a movie, for example, that's on Amazon prime called the vast of night. And, um, it's a great new movie and it's about a UFO sighting in a small town. So the first half of the episode, we'll talk about UFO sightings in small towns and the historical actual cases that this movie is loosely based on. And then the second half of the podcast, we talk about the movie, review it like a movie review podcast. And what's funny, Carrie, is we keep coming back to the same thing. We go It's either we love the paranormal representation in the film and then kind of hated it as a film, or we love it as a film, but the paranormal stuff was kind of lame. (laughs) It's very few times that we've gone like, paranormally, it was awesome. They did a great job, and the movie's great. It's like one usually is suffering. Right. So we've only found a few that we're like wicked thrilled about. And actually this was one of them, this uh, vast of night. We both loved it. So we will definitely put that on our, that's a great one. We haven't done an animated film yet. Yeah. It's, that's it's great.
1: It's beautifully done. The animation's amazing. Um, uh, Jamie Foxx plays the star character. Tina Fey oh. is, is the female lead or I don't, it's not really female, like whatever the spirit or being thing that's is. Awesome. Um, but it's it's really really cool. Uh, somebody's asking, do you ever cover NDEs on the podcast? Like, is there a podcast for just near death experiences? That would be cool. Probably,
2: probably. I would almost guarantee that if it's maybe if it's not just about that, it's there's so many paranormal podcasts out there that I'm sure that's covered a lot. But I'm so yeah, we would have to find a TV show or movie that dealt with. NDEs, and then we would do that. Absolutely. Everything's open. We're, any Anything we can find that deals in this stuff, we do it. Um, some some classics. We, we, we we're, Oh, this week we're doing uh, Mothman Prophecies with Richard Gere.
1: Oh, wow.
2: Yeah. So we go back to classics and we do new ones. We do a lot of streaming. There's a lot of streaming paranormal content right now. So we're trying to like run through those too, because that's what people are into.
1: Can you guys Google this for me quick, if you're here in the war room with Maddie Blake and I, because I can't. Shame on me for not remembering. Corey Taylor from Slipknot and Stone Sour is getting ready to write his fifth book this year. Oh my Um, God. He's a, he's a prolific writer. He's wow. Yeah. He's, he's an amazing wordsmith. Like he's able, like, you know, think of what you want to think of him with the mask on, on stage uh, with Slipknot, but he has this way. And one of Corey's books, and I can't remember the name of it is all about these crazy ghost sightings and things that he experienced as a kid oh my god and this book is fantastic so can one of you guys google the name of this book because i want to make sure that i'm promoting it properly he gave me a copy of it and a whole chapter in this book is about how him and some of his friends broke into this house deep in the woods that everybody says was haunted and nobody lived there anymore and like the staircases were all broken it scared the shit out of me because he talked about like something trapping him. Like this really happened to him when he was a kid and like trapped him in this house and all this crazy weird shit happened. And it's Corey talking about how this affected him. Like this really happened to him. And, um, let's see, I'm waiting for somebody to comment on it. Um, uh, Ed says, what are your thoughts on, uh, the movie paranormal activity? Um, uh, Penny says fire in the sky was great. Oh, mm. Brianna says a funny thing happened on the way to heaven or how I made peace with the paranormal and stigmatized zealots and cynics in the process. That's the name of the book.
2: Holy shit. I got to read that book.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, not what a only, great title, not only because you just love this kind of stuff, but because you love music. Yes. That Knowing that this is Corey writing this book. Yes. Um, Good for it, him. it's really, really interesting.
2: That's amazing. Um, Oh my God. I got to read that book. That's like written. That's like right up my alley. Oh, um, yeah. Paranormal Activity, I thought was a blast. I loved it at the time. I haven't seen it since it came out. I, it probably warrants a rewatch. It seemed very exciting at the time because it was one of those first movies to kind of use that style Yeah. of a home security, you know, like, a, you know, found footage type of thing, not found footage, but you know, home security, like these type of cameras. Right. Um, so it was very exciting at the time. And I thought they did a great job. There were some great jump scares, uh, a lot of fun. That movie was a lot of fun, but you know, to your point about Corey back to him, um, I actually did some research on, and we did episodes on, on my old podcast, the artist, we called it just cause it sounded good. The artist alien connection, but it's truly the artist paranormal connection. And there is a long lineage of musicians and artists who claim paranormal activity, it's almost, it's almost seems like more do than don't. So there's something about that side of the brain that seems Well, that's what I was going
1: to ask. So do you think that the creative that, so they say it's the same, comes up on my podcast all the time, that it's the same part of the brain that masters language and mathematics is what also makes you have musical ability. So Mm -mm. do you think that there's a certain part of the brain that's either open that they're using a part of the brain the rest of us don't, or like the the books that I that I've been reading that I've referenced um, called um, A Discovery of Witches.
2: Oh, by the way, I saw uh, since you mentioned it, I've seen it on TV that blonde lady. Oh my god! <laughs> Witch- the blonde lady, she's like uh, the blonde on the show Discovery of Witches. There's like the vampire oh, guy and the blonde the- lady. She's like the witch, I think.
1: Yeah, she's the witch. Ooh, yeah, well, Matthew Good, the vampire, is okay. nothing to shake a stick at. Anyway, right. in, this, <laughs> in this trilogy of books that's based yes. on real historical stuff woven in with the vampires, demons, and witches, demons, as they are described in this book and on this television show that's on Sundance, demons are people. They're supernatural creatures that ride the line between, between brilliance and madness that Mm. the demons are the creatives. Yeah. So you're either this brilliant kind of artist where you're riding that crazy line a little bit, right? Like a, Mm -hmm. like a Jimi Hendrix would have been a demon Mm. because you're, Mm -hmm. you're outlandish with this amazing talent, but like, like Jimmy Page with all of his extra, Mm -hmm. like you could do podcast episodes just about Jimmy Page. Yeah. Because he's so into the occult. Yeah. And, And then when they cross the line into the crazy, like that's the theory behind demons in this trilogy of books.
2: That's fascinating. I think, I think, yes, that creative side of the brain seems opened or attuned to these things. Also, there might be a little bit of it working the other way too, where whoever they are, alien spirits, whatever, use artists to do things. Like we found out a story, Elvis himself, who my dad described unknowing this whole thing that we're talking about. He's like, the guy was like an alien. Those are his words. He goes, when I was, in, when I grew up, there was, you know, jocks, you know, greasers, everything was segmented. Nerds, he goes, like whatever. The, right. The day, he goes, I remember it. It was like a day. Someone had, hound. he appeared on Ed Sullivan. Someone had a portable 45 record player, brought it down to the playground. And he goes, and I watched greasers, nerds, you know, the, all the different groups converge around this thing and listen to Hound Dog. And he goes, the next day, Everyone had their hair slit, Everyone wanted to be Elvis. We all came together around Elvis. He was like an alien. He he was like superhuman. And we found out when Elvis was born, the doctor swore to this, both his parents did, a strange blue light was seen hovering over Elvis's house and cast a blue beam of light down onto where Elvis was born. That's according to the people that were there. And it goes on and on and on. Well, that John Lennon
1: into the whole thing about whether Elvis is still alive or not. Like maybe he <laughs> just got beamed up to his home beamed planet. Up.
2: Beamed up. Uh, John Lennon saw a UFO and put it in a song. There's UFOs over New York and I ain't too surprised. Um, on and on and on. I can give you a million examples of it. So yeah, there's an there's an artist connection to that stuff. And I, I'm still trying to, uh, And and not that I put myself in their class at all, but I'm definitely, I'm, I'm not an engineer. I'm a, I'm an artist on the artist side of things. And I've always, I had a precognitive dream when I was a kid. Like I had a predictive dream. I dreamed something that came true and it scared me so much that I actually kind of put all my books away at the time and Bigfoot and all that stuff. It scared me. And so, yeah, I think us who are into this stuff tend to have that kind of wild side of our brain and we're we're attuned to it for whatever reason. And then other people who were, who are There's more practical minded cynics. don't see it. Right. Yes. Well,
1: they're the they're the practical minded people that are always the ones that say, well, if Bigfoot's real, why don't we have video of them? Like Correct. Why? Like everybody has a high definition camera on their phone. Right. Why? Why don't we have proof now? Like, why right. hasn't it been proven?
2: Well, to that, I would say. Um, and what I say is, is, is a we might already because there is video evidence out there now.
1: Just that people write it off.
2: That is debated. It's debated. I'm not saying it's real, but it could. You don't know what's real and what's not. Um, And I feel like even if you did have a high def cell phone shot of a Bigfoot, there would be a segment of society that just went like, that's not real.
1: Well, technology makes it so easy to like put my head on a 19-year-old Britney Spears hot-ass body and make it look like it could be real, even though we all know it's not.
2: Wait a second. Can you see my screensaver right now? Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I'll tell you what, though. The Patterson Gimlin film, and this ties back to oh, see how everything ties back together. The Zapruder film, the JFK Whoa. film, is the most analyzed piece of footage ever. Yeah. Second to that is the Patterson Gimlin film, Which that is famous the picture, of, right? Right. And and it has not. People will tell you it has. I'm telling you, it has not. It has not been debunked. They've had. They've brought in. History Channel, my, the one I worked for, did a did a roundtable. They brought in Dr. Jeff Meldrum. They brought in these real, incredibly intelligent people. He brought in a team of skeptic, video analysis people, primate experts. They studied this thing. They studied the musculature. And they said, I can't say it's a fake. I'm not going to say it's real, but I can't tell you that it's fake. It's yet to be debunked. And that thing has been studied more than anything. So we might already have the evidence. It's the Patterson-Gimlin film, but people just maybe don't believe it.
1: Yeah. it's It's really interesting and fascinating and we touched on it on the podcast if you haven't listened to Maddie's episode yet it's episode 33 it's up there now you can totally check it out because we talk about a lot of this stuff um but one of the things that I think everyone has to admit is that everyone believes in something that can't be explained right Mm -hmm. you've got Mm -hmm. that grandmother or that old aunt that has that intuition that nobody can explain or there's a thing that you have that you're superstitious about I mean growing up there are people in my old Italian family that if you lost something you say a prayer to St. Anthony and then you find it like it doesn't really <laughs> yeah. matter what it is everybody has something that they believe in that is really hard to actually scientifically prove beyond a shadow of a doubt every really, organized sir. religion requires a leap of tech, of literal faith to believe yeah. that so how crazy are some of these stories? Because, you know, like you can't say zombies aren't real and then celebrate Easter.
2: Right. That's right. You know That's what I mean? Right. Like right. it's yeah, like yeah. you. Yeah.
1: It, everybody has these things that they believe.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just that your crazy ideas are the ones you choose to believe. But you can't call someone else's crazy because.
2: That's right. That's right. That always that never jived with me like people who I knew were religious, you know, scoffing at my UFO stuff. And I'm like, wait a second, you know, the conversion of Paul at Damascus, the road to Damascus, when Paul who was persecuting Christians was converted to Christianity. If you, the new, the new Testament account is he sees a bright light come down out of the sky. It blinds him where he was blinded for days. They basically describe what is, we now understand to be radiation poisoning. All his people got sick that were with him. This is in the Bible. They fall on the ground, and it's according to this part, this account, it's Jesus. And so Paul, who was Saul, becomes Paul. He became converted, and he said, "You're going to stop killing Christians, and you're going to become one, and you're going to recruit them for in my name." And he did, and he became Saint Paul. So it's like that's a freaking UFO story, right? It, it, right? Semantics. It's semantics, but it is. Right. So it's like people who I knew were Christian would be like, "Oh, you're talking about UFOs again?" I'm like, "Dude, read <laughs> your not Bible."
1: Read the Bible, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah read the new Testament brother. So yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that. It's a semantics at a certain point.
1: Yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting though. And like one of the things that I loved about you like coming into work every day, like people ask me all the time about, you know, what do you miss the most about AAF? And I think that you and I would have the exact same thing. I think anybody that worked there has the same answer is you miss the people. You miss the people that you worked with and that creative Open, completely spontaneous place that you would go every day, and that you never, like, you never knew what I was going to walk in the room and say, and vice versa, or Mike Shue, or Stiz, or Hillman, or LB, or any of us that we were in a place that we were literally white knuckling the roller coaster without a seatbelt on every day. And that creative environment, that spontaneity, that's what I miss the most.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, if you do what we do for a living, I guess it'd be analogous to like, you know, having a gym to work at it. and It was like every day is a show. And so like, I felt like at the end of that two years, I'm surprised it's not Maddie and Nick questions, by the way, I'm surprised people aren't hammering Some your people questions. Are saying but, uh, that they, uh, You know, they miss um, you
1: guys. Shower beers. A lot of people uh, say shower, shower beers. beers.
2: It was, it was like a mental workout every day, Carrie. Right. Like, y- yeah. you know, and, and, and you're so sharp By the end of a week, like you're you're, by Friday, you're, you're firing on all cylinders. You do it four hours every day. And it's like, I do miss that. It's like a great mental workout and that camaraderie that everyone, everyone was a big personality, but we all fit something
1: different to the, but we were similar enough that we were all kind of in the room together.
2: Oh, and when we would have those moments when we, we did do something together on the air, those were—I just remember—I I can't think of an exact like—you'd come in with me and Nick on a Thursday night on our last break. Oh,
1: and we would do, and like we would be we find on our iPod, oh, like the Yes, songs. we did the bit.
2: Yeah. That. Oh yes, we did the bit. What's on your eye? And we would we would steal songs from and say, all right, here's what Carrie has on her eye. That I, I just remember belly laughing oh, like yeah. on a Thursday or Friday night. Like God, I do miss that. Yeah. I do miss. That.
1: And it's 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 one of those things where it's like you just can't replicate that. You no. Know? It's what made it such a special place. And and looking back. There was always that, even though people left and new people came in, there was always enough similarity that, like, anytime a new person came in, like, first of all, we hazed the shit out of them, but they always earned their place there, and they always brought something new.
2: Yeah, yeah. There was always a
1: new skill set. There was always a new personality. I mean, even, you know, somebody like like Stiz, like, this, you know, this Chelsea hip-hop kid from the hood found a way...
0: To, so great to
1: to belong in this place. I mean, he knew. Or Josh Dolan is another example. Like yeah. these these weirdos, and I yeah. say that with all the love in the world, yeah. guys. But these weirdos yeah. um, <laughs> that just had the strangest personality traits and quirks, and yet fit into this weird puzzle.
2: We had a kid. Remember Alan with the beard? Yes. This kid Alan. He was one of our interns, and and listeners of Maddie can remember this, but um talk about i mean probably like a third of our audience even got it they're probably like what the hell is this but this kid was 21 years old and he dressed like a 1920s safari explorer with the the safari khakis and like a big hat and he had a full beard and he was like a trivia expert he loved comic books he's like this weird 21 year old so we did a a, a monthly bit with him Um, or a weekly bit, I guess. It was called the Alan Questions Project. (laughs) And he fired shitty trivia questions at me and Nick on, like, Thursday nights. And I'm just like, that is just the the type of person that only AAF seemed to provide. You know what I mean? It
1: was just, I mean, literally pretty (laughs) much everybody that's here in the war room with us kind of fits into that. You know, it's like...
2: We're a freak show. Yes! (laughs) Totally a freak 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 show. I remember Nick, actually, we were brainstorming names um, for that segment with Alan. And I'm like, Alan questions project. And Nick just goes, <laughs> <laughs> and just, hangs his head. he's like, we have to, yeah. we have to It's such
1: an awful pun that it's necessary. Yeah. It just, it's required. Yeah.
2: We have to, don't we? I'm like, yeah, we do. Yeah,
1: we do. <laughs> and then, you know, of course there's a certain age group. Like Alan probably doesn't even know.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like Alan right.
1: Parsons, like doesn't even know yeah. who that is. Been,
2: yeah. Yeah. Which we were just like, all right, Whatever. It amuses us.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was so good having you in the war room.
2: Oh, God. Thank you. This is, uh, you look at him. Did you, did you yet.
1: bring a drink in with you? Are you having a cocktail with us? Well,
2: club? you might know my friends at uh, Castle Island and oh, Norwood, Mass. Oh,
1: that's a little plug.
2: Cheers to you. what do you got in there?
1: Uh, vodka soda tonight out of my that mug that I got.
2: That a for girl. Christmas. You are the best auntie best ever.
1: auntie ever. So.
2: I bet you are. I know you are. All mm-hmm. those kids love you.
1: So you got to come in the yeah. war room again. Everybody loved
2: it. All right. It. It's all right. Carol
1: goes uh, spaz. Perfect example.
2: Oh, probably the ultimate, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Who has gone full conspiracy on Instagram. Have you been watching his Instagram? Like, Has he really? Oh, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Political conspiracy. Like he's...
2: Oh, like QAnon stuff. Oh, st- he's in. Yeah, I, he's uh, all uh, in. All right, well... Occupy his time. I was
1: going to say, like, you're <laughs> nobody to criticize
2: him. <laughs> What a weirdo. Let me tell you more about Oak Island.
1: Um, One of the things Thank that you. we always do here in the War Room, and I wanted to point it out mm-hmm. before I let you go, is when the War Room started um, back in March, uh, one of the things that I did every night was I would wear a different concert shirt. <sighs> and I've got hundreds. Like, I never duplicated one, whatever. So I promised myself over the winter because we're still kind of all locked in the house that I was going to start going through my t-shirt collection mm. cuz it's shameful that the t-shirts you must have it's literally hundreds upon hundreds, hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds so I started digging out like crazy shirts and I wanted to show you the one that I'm wearing tonight
2: Oh my god wow So
1: I've just been it's finding sad. these like rando t-shirts and I'm like <laughs> it's like I can't get rid of it
2: No that it's one you cannot so Oh, cool. that's amazing So
1: good what so did you
2: think good. of the finale
1: so at
2: the time like at what was the your time thoughts?
1: in that moment i was pissed mm. looking back on it now i thought it was brilliant
2: yeah i can see that i and, can see that
1: and i firmly believe spoiler alert that the ending was tony's assassination
2: didn't didn't Someone admit that recently, yeah. Right, yeah. Didn't he admit it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah, I, yeah. I fully so,
1: believe talking about you know putting music right, oh, like my an god. iconic song, and like
0: oh my god.
1: Um, but at the time, I was pissed. I hated sure. Yeah, and looking back on it, especially for the pressure.
0: Right. Thank you so much for checking out this well,
1: after-action I mean, look report, at don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss so anything from the Mistress Carrie podcast. Yeah. Weekly episodes come wow. out every yeah. Wednesday. Yeah, every Monday or through or Friday, the, you get the sit rep, which is the all the of your production. rock oh, yeah, yeah. news, yeah, yeah. music yeah. headlines, yeah. and entertainment yeah. in less than five the, minutes.
2: W- when you go on their website, I do the virtual tour New England A huge thank you to Maddie
1: Blake for not only taking the time to be on episode 33 of the Mistress Carey podcast, but also for hanging out with the family as part of the cocktails in the war room. I want to quickly put in a plug for Cameo. With Valentine's Day coming up, if you want to make a custom Valentine's Day video for the one you love or hate, just download the Cameo app and search for Mistress Carrie. And I also want to say hello to everyone with a Mistress Carrie backstage pass on Patreon. It gives you backstage access to all things Mistress Carrie and discounted merchandise in the all new Mistress Carrie online store. It's
2: so clear is it not? All the details now, right? on everything yeah,
1: at mrscarry.com. Yeah. 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 You can say that I'm wrong. But the Mistress Carry podcast, really a proud do. member yeah. of the Pantheon Podcast Network, <laughs> that the the guys that came into the diner killed Tony. And it's like I I I'm glad that I didn't like as flawed as he was as a character, I don't want to see Tony. Mm. Like I don't want to see the 5 minutes after he gets shot.
2: Right. With the right. kids
1: covered in blood and Carmel right. freaking y- out and y- like, Yeah, yeah.
2: Don't need it. And also I heard, I heard him defend it one time before he kind of admitted what what it was. He said, look, this is, this was a character study of a guy, right? And you wondering if they're there to kill him is his future. That's his future for the Every rest of his life, for the rest of right? His life. Yeah, he's gonna be thinking that same thing. So that's what I was showing in that moment. Whether he gets killed or not in that time is not important. It's right. like this is what he this has to live his with. Existence now that right. He's over his shoulder for the yes. rest of his life. Yes. Even doing that's brilliant. As
1: basic as as eating at a diner with his family.
2: Right. That's brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, awesome shirt. You got to keep that.
1: Yeah, one. I'm keeping it, but. So it's one of the things we do in the war room is we bust out old like cool vintage T shirts. I should have told you that so you could have worn them. I know. Them. I'm sorry. I have some good old.
2: I have some good old concert ones I could have brought out. I got but... like
1: ten Black Crow shirts. I'm sure you do too. <sighs> I do. Uh,
2: yeah, I've got a few. I. Uh, it's my fault for being late.
1: It's okay. You can't compete <laughs> with yourself on. on I know. Like, <laughs> I understand that you don't want to screw up a good thing with the guys from Oak <laughs> Island. Like you don't. You don't want to lose that gig, man. It's too. It's well, so perfect it's... for you. You don't want to do anything to piss him off.
2: Amen. That's it. Yeah. That's it. I found well, I found my place.
1: Well, promise me that you'll come in the war room again.
2: If you'll have me, I would love it. Yeah. This is so much fun. I it love is It is a lot
1: of fun. And I love that everybody in the war room, like, you know, it doesn't matter what we're talking about. We're talking about booze. We're talking about current events. We're talking about music or whatever. And then we have guests in. I just think it. it makes it so much fun that there's somebody else that's kind of enjoying the war room as much as we all do. So...
2: Well, we're lucky to have you, Carrie, because uh, you provide this type of content and it's just awesome. So thank you.
1: Well, it was awesome to have you on the podcast, episode 33, if you missed Maddie Blake. Um, If you go to that episode, in the show notes of that podcast episode are all of the links for everything that you're doing, all of your social media links, everything to do with Oak Island, Drilling Down, um, Beyond Oak Island, your podcast, they're all linked in the episode so people can find you. And, um, be able to follow everything is Oak Island on Netflix. Somebody asked earlier and I want to be able to put the plug in. Do you know?
2: Yes, but not, uh, not all the seasons are streaming. I think they're like one through four right now and oh, we're in, okay. you know what I mean? There's going to be eight. So you'll, you'll be a little behind, but right. you can get it. It's on your, if you, ha- if you do have cable, you haven't cut the cord yet. It's on demand. Um, yeah. So you'll find it. Yeah. I think Hulu has it too. Maybe I should know that, huh? <laughs> Did you like I did kind of purple for you tonight? Did I you notice do. that? Okay. I'll
1: right. do my LB impression. And be like, just yeah. Google it, kid.
2: Just, just Google it. <laughs> That's it. That's oh, it. Oh,
1: man. All right, Maddie. <laughs> Thank you so much for checking out this After Action Report. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss anything from the Mistress Carrie podcast. Weekly episodes come out every Wednesday. Every Monday through Friday, you get the Sit Rep, which is all of your rock news, music headlines, and entertainment info in less than five minutes. And then, of course, you get the after-action reports. A huge thank you to Maddie Blake for not only taking the time to be on episode 33 of the Mistress Carrie podcast, but also for hanging out with the family as part of Cocktails in the War Room. I want to quickly put in a plug for Cameo. With Valentine's Day coming up, if you want to make a custom Valentine's Day video for the one you love or hate, just download the Cameo app and search for Mistress Carrie. And I also want to say hello to everyone with a Mistress Carrie backstage pass on Patreon. It gives you backstage access to all things Mistress Carrie and discounted merchandise in the all-new Mistress Carrie online store. Get all of the details on everything at MistressCarrie.com. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.
0: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.